great morning, folks, and thank you for listening to Her Story Podcast. H-E-R, HER, is an acronym for Heroic, Empowering, and Resilient. And this is a self-improvement, self-acceptance, and women empowerment podcast. My main purpose is to encourage, empower, and motivate all women by highlighting their personal stories of triumph over adversity. Each of us has a story. Maybe it's an illness a financial burden, or a dead-end job. In general, unforeseen circumstances can make you feel isolated or alone. But when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean that it is the end of your story. It is within the darkest nights we produce the brightest stars. There are women out there who have gone through the very same barriers you're facing today, but they didn't give up. In fact, they use their difficulties to mold them into strong and resilient women. And if they can break through their hardships, so can you. Because you are her. Heroic, empowering, and resilient. Magnificent morning, good people. Again, this is Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast. I am super excited this morning to be interviewing a phenomenal woman who is a boss, who is um, a philanthropist and someone who definitely gives back in her very own right. Again, this is Jay Jameson with Her Story, and Her is an acronym for Heroic, Empowering, and Resilient. And what we have been doing for the past two and a half years is interviewing women throughout the country, right? Looking at them as they highlight their stories of triumph into adversity, as they highlight and provide resources to help leverage different women within their career and having their shared experience to uplift and motivate all women. So this episode is very unique, you know, for the the past year and a half, I've been in partnership with the amazing project, the HBCU Experience Movement, LLC. This episode is in partnership with She Is Magazine, along with the first ever HBCU Band Edition book, the HBCU Experience, the HBCU Band Alumni Edition, which will release at the end of this month on Amazon. Now, of course, you know that I am a proud alumni of the Southern University and A&M College in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And when we talk about HBCUs, of course, we are connected to the love that is shared within our, on our campuses. We are connected to the traditions, but most importantly, we are definitely connected to the band. Even when we look at the historical context of many rivalries throughout HBCUs, it is centered in the entertainment and the tradition of the band. So without any further ado, I have with me today, Dr. Catherine D. Kelly. So Dr. Catherine Garrett Kelly is a board certified internal medicine physician practicing in Silver Spring, Maryland. Dr. Kelly was a member of the Howard University Showtime marching band and pep bands from the fall of 1997 to the spring of 2001 while she played clarinet, baritone horn, and a member of the university concert band while she played bassoon. Dr. Kelly received her bachelor's of science degree in biology and bachelor's of arts degree in anthropology from Howard University in 2001. After graduation, Dr. Kelly worked toward a master's in education degree while teaching high school science in the Bronx, New York. Shout out to the Bronx. Dr. Kelly received her doctor of medicine degree from the Howard University College of Medicine in 2007 and completed her internal medicine residency at Washington Hospital Center from 2007 to 2010, staying on for an additional year as a chief medicine resident from 2010 to 2011. 
And Dr. Kelly is currently the owner and president of Kelly Collaborative Medicine with a focus on primary care. Look, I can't say it enough, Dr. Kelly. Thank you so much for joining Her Story Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Definitely, definitely. So before we go into learning more about you and who you are and your experience and how it's really shaped you into the person that you are today, please tell us a little about who you are outside of that great bio, just a little bit about who you are in your very own words. Well, you know, it's funny because you don't want to be, you want to be humble when you talk about yourself. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm definitely a, a trailblazer. I try to treat my patients for respect and have created a vision within my practice of making patients feel welcome. Um, and I also try to fight for healthcare equity um, in, in the things that I do. Um, I'm a wife and a mother. I have uh, three children, um, Asia, who's 26, Jackson, who's 13, with autism, um, which makes that a big call for me. And, and my youngest one is six. Um, her name is Reagan. Um, so I think those are the most important things about who I am. And I'm also um, the past national president for Tarbet of Sigma, which is the band sorority, um, which plays a big role, as you know, in, in the um, atmosphere and environment in HBCU band. So I'm blessed to be here and to be able to talk about, you know, those things and how those things have shaped the person that I am and contributed to that. Definitely. And and I'm very excited, again, just to share this conversation with you. You know, I'm very focused on centering women in, in policy, centering women in um, different avenues of life and ensuring that we're having robust conversations with each other and sharing our experiences. You know, um, our experiences sometimes can pull someone out of a dark hole. Our experiences can inspire someone to do something that is so empowering. So again, thank you so much for joining today. And, you know, I want to ask you, why the band? You know, at what age were you introduced to music and became musically inclined? I feel like I've always been interested in music. My, you know, growing up in church, probably a little more church than most. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, you always get drawn to those things. So, I mean, in elementary school, I was in, in chorus and played bells and recorder. And, you know, um, I went on, I played violin in, in sixth grade. And then um, in eighth grade, I started to play clarinet. So, um, I was actually pretty good at it. I, you know, you get the clarinet, you kind of feel through what, you, what you're going to do. And so it was exciting to, to, to play and to be a part of that. Um, and then when I got to high school, my, my brother um, is a saxophone player. Um, he had been a drum major at the same high school. So a big part of, you know, was trying to keep up with my brother. I wanted to be a drum major because he was a drum major. I so it. I feel like family-wise, we always had been involved in music. My, my younger sister also played in the band. She, she plays the flute. Um, and my mom, you know, like I said, was always involved in music and writing songs for church and that kind of thing. So I feel like that's always been a part of who I am and of, of what I love to do. Um, and that just grew. So, you know, after in high school, I was a drum major my senior year and I went on to college, but not necessarily with the intention of being in, in the band as my primary focus. So the, the schools that I, you know, applied to, most of them did not have a band. Um, and, and Howard was actually the only HBCU that I applied to um, and decided to go because I got a full scholarship to, to attend um, and was going to be a part of the BSMD program. But when I saw the band, it was like, I got to be a part of this. Like, this is where I belong. And it, it, and it all fell into place that I was able to participate. 
Yes, yes, yes. Love it. And, you know, I was about to ask you, you know, was an HBCU your first choice? And you say that Howard was the only HBCU that you applied to. And the same speaks for me. You know, Southern University was the only HBCU that I had applied to as well. And, you know, I applied to other um, colleges and I got accepted to every school that I applied to. But it was just something about that SU experience. So, you know, what can you tell the audience about your HBCU experience in the band? And especially maybe, you know, some of the obstacles that you did face as a woman being in the band. Yeah. And I think I think a big part just kind of going to HBCU, going to school alone, um, not everybody in my family had been to college. My brother had gone for a while. So kind of going into an unknown situation. Um, and also being in a situation where now you weren't defined by the color of your skin. You know, so everybody there is black or of, of African descent. So you can't use that. That's not a, a, a connecting point anymore. So I kind of went and I think expecting that everybody was going to be my friend, you know, that everything was going to be okay. My first roommate was from New York and, um, you know, her, her, I remember distinctly her being like, why do you press your hair? Like, you should be natural. Da, 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 da. And I was like, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had never had anybody question me on my blackness, right, you know, right. and, and, and about who I am as a person outside of just being a black person. Um, so I think that the, the band gave me a home at Howard. And I think, you know, when I came into the band, I had been a drum major, so, you know, you kind of go into that situation. As a woman, I can do any of this because I have seen it done, but I hadn't seen that in the HPCU setting. But I came in and saw all of these strong women participating in Tall Beta Sigma, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I, I feel like it's always strong women in the band, and TBS was that personified for me. Um, and I tried to be that example moving forward. And, I mean, I look at the alumni from Howard that were in the band and, you know, I look at Sonia Wiggins Pruitt, who was the, uh, the highest ranking, um, captain in the, the police department here, um, in, in, um, in the DC area or, um, Beth Brown, who was one of the first or the first, um, African-American woman to get her PhD in astronomy from the university of Michigan. And like, these are the women that I grew up in the band with, you know, seeing as, as, as alumni and seeing as examples. So, you know, I never felt that I couldn't do anything um, other than be a be a drum major. I, I couldn't do a back band. So <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be on my list. <laughs> but, you know, it. there are women that have been drum majors. There's more of them now. Um, I can't name every single one of them, but I know even at Howard, our most recent um, drum major was a female, and she was a, a proud member of Tau Beta Sigma. So I feel like that you know, we talk about black women as being strong and being empowered. And that is what I saw at Howard. That is what I felt. I never have questioned, you know, whether I could do something because you see people doing it. You see people that look like you doing it every day. Right. And definitely. And, you know, I can say this, when you have a strong network, uh, a cadre of women with like-minded um you know, experiences with the same mind frame that can pour into you, that is so important. So I, I really appreciate you sharing the women that were so prominent within your life, the black women that were so prominent in your life and the ability for them to really set an example and to break barriers and things of that nature. So I want to ask you the question about, you know, your overall HBCU experience. How did that influence your career and your network and other opportunities? 
Well, I think look, when you're in the middle of it, I think you don't appreciate it as much. So I think in undergrad, I didn't appreciate the confidence that Howard gave me. You know, I, I don't think I appreciate it in medical school, the the lessons that I learned about how to treat people and how to take care of my patients. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So looking back on it, I recognize the reason I'm able to be confident in my career is because I had had the ability to be confident in my leadership roles at Howard. You know, I was in, in medical school. I was president of medical school and president of my class my first year. Um, you know, I, I was able to be a leader and be confident and never was told that, no, you can't do this because of the color of your skin or because I didn't have to worry about being the first black person or the first black woman or the first this to do things because everybody there was doing it. Now, I've always wanted to be a doctor. Um, that's, that's always been a part of who I am, but I feel like my Howard experience, my HBCU experience, the experience of family of HBCUs as a whole, like we really are family. Like we can talk mess and we know Howard and Hampton. We got our little rival, I think Southern and Grambling. Right, But right. when it comes down to, we can talk about each other, but you can't, nobody will get in between can't us. Can't talk about And us. I think yes. that love and that family, you know, that, that atmosphere is, is a part of, the reason I'm able to be successful because those people will support me. My, my HBCU family, if it, you know, they, they're my patients now. They, you know, they're people who, who have supported me in my, my quest in Tarby the Sigma and, and my rise into the, the national presidency. Um, but, you know, career-wise, I feel like the thing that kind of stands out is we talk about black women in medicine. Going to Howard, I saw plenty of black women in medicine. I know plenty of black female lawyers because they went to Howard because I had that sense. Plenty of dentists. And that kind of thing. But if you come outside of that bubble, we make up less than 2% of all physicians as black women. So, you know, it's harder to find now that I'm, I'm looking for people to join my practice. It's not as many black women that are out there. They are women of color, you know, but we still make up a small percentage. And my Latino sisters and brothers make up an even smaller percentage to a certain extent. So um, it definitely changed my, I feel like changed me as a person. I appreciate who I am more and I'm able to be confident in my, in, in who I am because I've never been told I can't do something. Yes. Yes. I love it. And I, you know, I also like when you look at the experience of an HBCU, right? You centered on the importance of family. I don't, I can't express mm-hmm. that enough in HBCUs. You know, we do come from various backgrounds. We come from places all throughout the country, you know, even within um, people of color who may be at different universities, different HBCUs, it is still really honed and centered in being a family. Even to this day, when I look at what, I graduated undergrad in maybe 2012, but there are still folks that Either I went to school with in undergrad or grad school or professors, or even when you look at furthering my network, all of that is connected some way to an HBCU, right? Whether that be Southern, like you said, whether that be Grambling, whether it be J State, we all look out for each other. And I really want to go into further detail about why the band is so instrumental to the HBCU experience. You know, you talked about Southern's um, rivalry, again, Grambling and Southern. 
And then, of course, Jay State, Jackson State is one of our heavy rivals as well. But both of those rivalries are centered, again, on the band, right? Southern is the best band in the right. land. You know, Jay State and the, <laughs> and the, the Sonic Boombox Classic and all of these things. So how can you elaborate on how instrumental is that HBCU experience connected to the band? I mean, I think, you know, having been probably the stigma and, and seeing both sides, seeing predominantly white institutions in the HBCU, like it makes them even more clear as to why people come to the game. They want to see the energy. They want to see what we can do. Like being, because I, I think so if I'm not wrong, I, I can't remember which one is the jukebox or the South. Um, or, you know, my, my band directors all came from Southern. Southern has a huge um, history of putting forth band directors that, that are awesome. Mr. Newsom and Mr. Washington both both were Southern graduates. And it's just, it's a certain energy. It's a certain, I don't know, excellence that we expect out of each other. I grew up um, in Tampa, Florida. So, you know, it was always Bethune-Cookman and FAMU. And FAMU was like that energetic, big, fun band. And for me, BCC was like precision. Like they came out there and they was, they was like the core style for me uh, of the HBCU bands. And like, how could you not love that? How could you not feel that energy? Like it's just a part of what we do. Um, you know, and just like the Divine Nine or anything else, that's a part of what we do. And it's, and the thing is, it's a lifelong commitment. Like when we talk about the things that we love, like, the band for us is not just a four-year commitment while we're in college. It's, it's something that we love lifelong. And the same thing runs true with Tava the Sigma and Kappa Kappa Psi, and it makes it very different, makes it very unique, is that that doesn't stop when you graduate. Like, being an alumni of a certain band, that is who you are, you know? That is a part of what you're going to stand for, what you're going to support. And I hope that, you know, what I've tried to do is really be supportive of my band program, and I hope that other people will do the same because we need that support from the alumni. We need that support from our own people so that we can do these things, so we can give our scholarships to these kids, so that we can have that experience live on for our next generation. Um, and it, I, I know this is not exactly your question, but I think one of the things I've, I've recognized going to HBCU is, is the existence of black wealth, the existence of black excellence, because I feel like growing up in, in, in the environment that I grew up with, like I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, but it's not because I saw other doctors. I, Heathcliff Huxtable was the only black doctor I ever saw, and I wanted to be that. But, you know, the only women I saw that were, were educated were my teachers. When I got to Howard, I saw that people have come from lines of people who have graduated from college. People come from lines of people or lines of families with wealth, with degrees, with excellence, with those things. And it gives you something to strive for. And it's the same thing with band. Like, you look at people whose families have been in the band for all this time and, and been a part of the evolution of, of the band experience. And I think, you know, we've gotten more notoriety in recent years. It's become more popular, per se, um, outside of the HBCU experience. But, you know, I've, I marched in 97 to, to 20, 2021, and we only played other HBCUs. I re remember distinctly marching on the field for my first ever time as a member of the Showtime Band at Jackson State and the energy and, and everything that was into that. And we only saw each other. And now the world is more open to seeing what we have to offer. And that's, I think they, it's their loss that they didn't get to see it sooner and be a part of what we do. But that hard work, going out on the field, not having music, 
having to know songs on demand, having to do these, you know, every week you change in a different show, the hard work and dedication it takes to do that is unparalleled. And that experience is why I feel like I can do everything that I do now. So a combination of, of being a hard worker in the band and, and being able to, to change and to, to um, be adaptable to situations in, in Tava Sigma, being able to run a, run a meeting, being able to, um, you know, plan a, a district convention or plan a national convention as a national president, being in charge of a budget, being in charge of investments as a part of the board of trustees, all of those things set you up to be able to do the things that you do in real life. So, you know, my real life, now is a reflection of the, the, the lessons and the qualities and the, the, you know, the ideals that are set in my band experience and in my life in Talbot Sigma. Yes. So that overall HBCU experience, HBCU band experience definitely shaped who you are today, definitely centered you into who you are today. So as we're looking at things and projects and partnerships that you're currently doing, can you please just tell me a little more about Kelly Collaborative Medicine? So Kelly, I started my practice, um, it's going to be five years ago in July. I had been working with a different physician um, once I came back from completing my National Service Corps um, obligation in Georgia. And I, I don't, at some point I realized that I wasn't being valued, that that. I was in a toxic relationship, and sometimes we'll stay in these toxic relationships because we're scared to move on to something else, and we don't want to take a risk. And at, at that point, I had just, we had just bought a house. I had just had a baby. Like, I was like, I can't, I, you know, I don't want to open my own practice. But when it's time for you to move, you're going to be pushed. And sometimes you won't move unless you push. And I got pushed out of that situation and just had to make a decision that I was worth more than that, and my vision of what I wanted to see for my practice was worth more than that. So, you know, I opened my own practice with the, I know it's really idealistic, but that everyone who comes into my space should feel welcome and feel heard and that, you know, we, we're going to take care of everybody, no matter what your insurance. So I take all insurances. That's a very important part of my practice. And if you come into my space, it's clean, it's welcoming. You know, I tell my, my staff, you, they are a reflection of me as a person and, and what I want my patients to feel when they're here. And I think, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the different things that have been going on with the death of George Floyd and with the pandemic, you know, a big part of what we try to also promote is health equity um, and really being an advocate for our patients when it comes to resources for them. Um, because, you know, the people who are dying from this pandemic are the people who have, who have to be out in the front lines. They're usually the lower paid people. And a lot of these, them don't have insurance or they have Medicaid and we can't find those specialists that want to take their insurance, you know. So the ultimate goal eventually is that I will have more of a collaboration of different specialists in my practice and they all take insurances and that kind of thing. So we can provide better care to our patients. Another thing that I'm involved with, we have a, a county contract here in Montgomery County in Maryland um, where we um, do primary care for the homeless um, in, our, in, in the county um, and do outreach. So I, I'm, I oversee um, the outreach nurses and my full-time nurse that goes out in, into the shelters and then we also have actual clinics that we see the people in the community or we see them on the street. If, if that's where they need to be seen, that's where we go. Um, and, and, you know, a big part of what we've had to do during the pandemic is education and making sure that they understand why it's important to get tested, why it's important to social distance. Um, it's a huge amount of mental health that that's in that community. 
And a huge amount of the, that community is us, is black and brown people, you know, um, which again shows the disparity um, in, in, in economically in what we're facing in this country and, and that people aren't really willing to admit. Like we, we, we talk a lot about policing and, and those kind of things, but social economically we are at a disadvantage in many areas and, and, and there's not that equity. So, you know, that's an important part of what we, what I want to stand for. Um, I also sit on the board for two organizations. I sit on the board for an organization called Girls Health Ed, um, and that's really an organization that's set to empower girls and their choices about their health. Um, and I, I'm the current vice president for the Howard University Medical Alumni Association, and a big part of what we do is to support the medical students and, and, and to make sure that there's, there are doctors that look like us out there and that they're pushing forward their mission you know, from the medical school to take care of everybody, take care of our communities. You know, Freedman's Hospital um, was the center for black health in D.C. for a long time, and now it's Howard University Hospital. But um, Howard University College of Medicine has been, is only one of three medical schools at, at um, black colleges. Drew, I should say four. Um, Meharry is at Fisk. Um, Morehouse has a college of medicine in Howard. Um, and Charles Drew in, in Los Angeles. So, you know, being a part of those organizations and, and, and being able to be in leadership and push those projects forward is important to me. Um, and the last thing I mentioned is I'm also working on a, a separate project to help um, other physicians start their own practices. With, with uh, That's a big thing they don't teach you in medical school is how to be an entrepreneur, how to be a business person, how to be an employer, because that, that is a, a big deal. Like, knowing, being firm and fair, um, and then, you know, because we're taught to be compassionate to our patients. We're not taught how to talk to them when they get a bill that they don't want to pay, you know, so and, and how to organize the office and that kind of thing. But we need to understand our industry so that we can be involved in those aspects and we can also make uh, those businesses and those practices more accessible um, and, and attract patients and keep patients and treat them with respect and, and with kindness, you know. So um, I'm busy, but I'm, I'm blessed. Um, you know, I got a wonderful support system that helps me to be able to do everything that I'm doing. Um, and, you know, still trying to stay grounded and stay and stay to try to be a good friend and a good spouse and a, and a, a good sister, you know, to my, to my family. Yes. Yes. And, you know, what you being so busy and involved in so many different things, how do you find the time just for, for self-care? You know, we, we live in a world where, you know, we're constantly, doing, 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 right? And I'm the I'm the very same person. One of the things that I really appreciated what you were saying about within your practice is really focused on pro- pro- providing equitable healthcare access to um, many of those in the black and brown communities, right? Myself, I'm a policy advocate in Louisiana and I'm centered on just amplifying the voices of those within black and brown communities, looking at health disparities, looking at the lack of economic opportunities and um, really focused on fiscal fairness, right? And affordable housing and all of these different issues that plague our communities and not speaking for people, but amplifying their voices. So what you are doing, um, providing healthcare access and really centered on our people. I'm so appreciative and I thank you so much for that because, um, you know, surprisingly, you don't see that enough. But with all of that going on and you belong to so many different boards and different organizations and giving back to Howard University and really just being an active alumni, how do you find time for yourself? Because 
we have to center ourselves. You know, if we continuously um, um, keep moving, you know, we'll, we'll run thin, right? And so we can't do the work and we can't be there for others if we're not fully charged. So can you just give a few self-care practices? So, you know, I think, I think first of all, it's, it's always important to, to note that your doctors don't, don't do a good job of self-care either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a hard time with, with balancing those things. And, and, you know, I think sometimes they tell women, you can have it all, you can do it all. You have to really prioritize. You have to make those things a priority. And that means you also have to give up certain things. So one of the things that I had to do for my own self-care is take a look at my lifestyle and what things that I have to change. And a big part of that, which was a hard decision, was to really step away from Target Sigma in a, in a, in a more involved role. Um, I always tell people, you, you give your time, your treasures, or your talents. And right now, the only thing I can give is my treasures. So I've, I have to make sure that I'm, you know, having that time to do other things. I had, you know, not been taking care of myself. I had gotten up to about 300 pounds um, at the end of my presidency and kind of, you know, with Tobias in 2017 and dealing with my family issues and starting my practice and, you know, had just had a, a baby in 2015. So, you know, all of those things just amplifying and adding on. And I woke up one morning and I felt like I was going to die. I felt like everything was, you know, in my body wasn't right. And I had to make a decision to, to really change my lifestyle. I stopped working at night. I dedicated myself just to my practice. And this is my only job now. I don't do any outside work. I only work for my practice, which is a big, big risk when you, you know, um, when you know that this is how you're going to feed your family. Um, but I had to make that change. I had to change what I was eating. Um, I had to change my activity level. I had to make time to go and be active. Um, and I've lost about 75 pounds of those you know, those three years and, and really been able to keep it off um, because I've had to make myself a priority because I, it's easy to make everything else a priority and not stick to yourself. And I work on that every day. I think you have to, to also work on your spiritual and mental health. If you're depressed, if you are anxious, if you have mental health, you need a, a somebody to talk to. I don't have a professional to talk to, but I have friends and family who, who will let me have that that time with them to, to really talk about when I'm feeling overwhelmed and when I'm feeling overstretched and giving me good advice. Um, you know, I, I have a, a strong network of people that, that will take some of the, the load. So, you know, my husband, he knows that sometimes it's going to be that he's going to be in charge of the kids more than others. And, and he's really supported me in that and, and allowed me that time to lose the weight in self-care. And he knows like on Tuesday nights when we was actually open to go out of the house, that was my Tuesday, Thursday night was my time to go and do my exercise and take my class. Um, and he, he supported that. He, he, he made sure I eat right. So you got to have those people around you that's, that's willing to help you. Um, and like I said, to, to not just think it's just diet and exercise because those are the only two parts of it. You have to be able to sleep. You know, you need to be able to rest. Um, and you need to have your spiritual and mental, mental health in line because they, they all are, are legs on the table. And if you got one of those legs off, the table not going to stand. It's not going to be sturdy. So that's my biggest thing, you know, balance. Um, and really sometimes that takes look, taking a hard look at yourself and really realizing what you can and cannot do. You cannot be there for everybody. You cannot do everything. Um, you can do a little bit of everything, but you're not going to be able to do it well if you overstretch. Definitely. You won't be able to do it well if it's, if you are overstretched. So that definitely does make sense. And, you know, Again, I want to thank you so much for everything that you have 
really done within the community. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for just highlighting the overall importance of HBCUs and how it can really shape and mold someone's everyday life and their experiences and who they are as an individual. So is there any type of way that the audience that's tuning in right now, how can they reach out to you or how can they learn more about the different projects and things that you're involved in? Do you have social media handle? I, I do. It's, it's funny because last night I had to ask my son what they are. So, <laughs> um, my, my, my practice website is www.kellymedicinemd.com. So that tells you about my practice vision and, and um, you know, some of the things that we do here at the office. Um, HUMA is the Howard University Medical Alumni Association. It's HUMA.org. Um, if you're interested in learning more about that or giving to them, and the same thing with girlshealthed.com if you're interested in giving in that space. My Twitter handle, not Twitter, Instagram handle is at Catherine Kelly MD. And I think my Twitter is Dr. Mom. <laughs> uh, I don't know for sure, but on Facebook, uh, <laughs> Kelly Collaborative Medicine has a Facebook and then also my, my personal Facebook. I know I, I, I can only focus on one of those platforms at a time. Right. I'm addicted to Facebook, so I can't, I can't be on every, all of them because then I, I won't do nothing but look at, look at what people are doing all day. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> look, I definitely understand. Like, I'm addicted to Instagram. And, um, you know, I, I catered my pages to kind of, you know, focus on different audiences, right? So understand that my personal page, my business pages, my Facebook, I always climb with my friends. I'm like, you know, that Facebook page is strictly for my parents and um, church members, you know, <laughs> and then, <laughs> in the personal page, you get the real. And I, and I, I feel like I got, I've got, i gotten to a point when it comes to, to the, my website and my Facebook and stuff, I don't manage those for, the, for my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even know how to get into them. I can see them sometimes, but, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed. And I, I don't say that, that to be, um, you know, um, woe is me. But at some point you have to, you have to, uh, you know, give out, deal out what you're going to give to other people and pay people to do some stuff for you so you can have time to do the other things that are important. So I'm, I'm not afraid to pay somebody to help me do something so I can have some time with my family and, and some time to, to, to try to be grounded in myself. So. Yes, yes, and you need that. It it is okay to delegate. I um I said that yesterday. It was a stressful day. I'm like, I'm delegating these tasks today, okay? <laughs> But thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Catherine, for joining us today. Again, fully enjoyed your story. And audience, you know, in closing, always remember your story is not solely for you. And it's meant to be shared with other women and provide hope to those facing similar situations. You don't have to be ashamed, embarrassed, or afraid to share your story. And always remember, you are a victor, you are a winner, and you will not be defeated because as women, we are strong, we are resilient, we are empowering, and we break barriers. You declare growth and prosperity over your life. So in closing, again, if you are empowered, uplifted, encouraged, motivated, any of those things today, please share her story podcast. It can be shared on SoundCloud. It's Instagram at her story underscore podcast. I'm on Facebook at her story podcast. And my personal page is at Janae underscore Claire 13. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And this is Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast, and we are out. 